Yes, Jesus came, grieved at the death of his friend, and then he resurrected him. But turning the lens, even for a minute in this story to Mary, is a powerful testament of what it looks like to profess faith in the midst of everything around you falling apart. It is Mary, not Martha, who grieved and accused and yelled and trusted and confessed her faith, even when she did not have any idea what Jesus was about to do. She had no idea what was coming next. This morning's story has a, a biblical character that is maybe one of my favorite people in all of scripture, which is Mary Magdalene. If you were hanging out in my home office ever, you would see I have art of Mary Magdalene, these beautiful artistic renderings of her sitting in front of me all the time. I think she is, these are just so, I have so many stories I could tell you about how, why she's so awesome. And we're only gonna tell you some of them today, but if you wanna hear more, I got lots like, She's the reason we dye eggs at Easter. You can ask me about that. I'll tell you the story. Um, there are so many great things about Mary Magdalene, and she is a part of today's gospel story. I have been waiting and waiting for an opportunity to share some new things that I have learned about her. So in the interest uh, a full disclosure, I, I want to tell you, I looked ahead at the assigned gospel text, I mean, months and months ago, to make sure I was assigned to John 11 today uh, because I really wanted to talk about Mary. Now you may be asking yourself, how can someone who lived over 2,000 years ago have recent developments? I'm so glad you asked, let me tell you all about it. Just a few years ago, a student doing research for a master's thesis in theology discovered something that no other biblical scholar had ever discovered before. This alone is just a fun fact uh, to start the story. But that fun fact is that there is no Martha in the text of John 11, in the original text. That should just blow your mind. So you just heard Carrie read that. Martha's all over this story. Guess what? She's not in there. I can tell you the whole lecture if you want. Again, we don't need to spend time right here. Do that. Just trust me that this research has been done. Um, don't worry, Martha's still a biblical character. She's still in Luke 11, where Mary and Martha are arguing over who is doing the better thing for Jesus. That's still there. She's still real. She's still a person in Scripture. But she's not actually in this particular story. If you go back to the original Scripture, they crossed off, you can see, the edits made to the name Mary, and they turned it into Martha. You can see it in the original text. Uh, so Mary and Lazarus are siblings, but Mary and Martha from Luke's story of the sisters and Jesus are not the same Mary and Martha. There's lots of Marys, just like, you know, there's lots of Christians in the world, right? It's just, it's just the same. Lots of Marys in Scripture. Elizabeth Schrader is the name of that particular master's degree student, and she has kind of taken the biblical scholar world by storm in these last few years. Her research uh, as, as just a lowly master's student, was published in the Harvard Theological Review, and it is currently under review by the folks at Nestle Olland, who literally publish all of the Bibles. So they are the keepers of the New Testament. 
and they are deciding whether they'll change the way the New Testament is written in the future or if they will add a footnote to John 11 in every text they print. Um, because this thing actually seems to be legit. It is credible uh, and theologically sound. I need to just pause here and say this never happens. So it's a big deal. So of course I want to talk about it. Because Mary here is likely the Mary we know as Mary Magdalene. She's probably the same person known as Mary of Bethany. And isn't that confusing? Yes, it is. But it's also amazing because if you are like me and you have always loved Mary Magdalene but you didn't quite know why because she was always labeled as some kind of fallen woman or it's strange to be drawn to someone who I've been taught to believe was bad, this research means Mary is kind of as awesome as I'd always hoped or at least felt she was, but I didn't have any theological proof to really back it up. Well, here it is. Now, before I continue, I want you to know that I know this story is about Lazarus. I know that. And uh, although one of my friends this week was like, he's dead the whole time. It's fine. Um, so you don't need to talk about him. I thought that was hilarious. And this story is about Jesus. I know that as well. I know this story is about the power of Christ defeating the power of death. As Pastor Chad said, we've had seven funerals here just in the last three months. We had two funerals here on Friday. It feels like it would make sense for me to spend time talking about the power of death in our lives and the power of resurrection and how Christ defeats even that powerful force. It would make sense to talk about how Lazarus is no longer dead and his walking around town scared the powers that be so much that they tried to get him killed. It would make sense for me to mention that later you even find Lazarus using his second wild and precious life to just hang out with Jesus. He didn't even like go try to make more money or buy a lottery ticket or anything. He just spent more time with his friend. And yes, it would even make sense for me to talk about grief and loss and how Mary lashes out at Jesus and how gently he responds to her or how he tries to keep it together and breaks down himself in the face of his own grief at the loss of his friend. There are a lot of big feelings in this story that we could stick with. And you all know I'm not shy about my own big feelings. So yes, I know this story is about Jesus. I know it's about Lazarus. I know it's about death and life. But it is also about Mary. And I think when we focus on Mary in this story, it becomes even more powerful than before, if you can believe it. And this story is already pretty powerful. So back to uh, Ms. Schrader and her research. So basically, there's a lot of scholarly consensus that Mary Magdalene has always been a more important figure in Scripture than she was given credit for. This is what Elizabeth was doing research about. And she wondered, if Martha isn't in this story, then that means Mary, not Martha, was the one who said the phrase, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And you might say, okay, so what? I'm so glad you asked. Here we go. 
Uh, in a talk about Elizabeth Schrader's work, author and professor Diana Butler Bass put it this way. She said, that little text from John 11 that I just read for you, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world, that is called a Christological confession. That's the fancy way of saying you're saying who Jesus is. So Diana Butler Bass says that's one of two in all of the Gospels. The other one happens in the Synoptic Gospels, and it happens in, it's Mark, Luke, that's what Mark, Luke, Matthew is done. And who says it in those three Gospels? Peter. So Peter is the one who says the Christological confession in the Synoptic Gospels. Him and Jesus have a conversation. Jesus turns to Peter and says, who am I? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turns around and says to him, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, because Peter means rock, remember? And we call Simon Peter from there on out. Now the other Christological confession is in the Gospel of John, and until this point, it had belonged to a minor character named Martha, and we didn't even really know who she was. Jesus raises her brother from the dead, and they have this conversation, and finally this woman is the one who says, yes, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Pretty much the exact same words that Peter utters in the Synoptic Gospels, and then Martha disappears from all of the stories. But if it is Mary, the Mary who shows up in John 11 is not an unremembered Mary. This Mary has long been suspected of being the other Mary, Mary Magdalene. So might it really be true that the other Christological confession of the New Testament comes from the voice of Mary Magdalene? Diana Butler Bass says, the Gospel of John gives the most important statement in the entirety of the New Testament, not to a man, but to a woman and to a really important woman who will show up later as the first witness to the resurrection. Let's go. This is such an important moment, not just because Jesus cries, though that's important, not just because he raises Lazarus from the dead, though that is also important. This is the only other place in the New Testament where there is a Christological confession. I believe you are the Messiah. And it is Mary who says it. Not Martha, but Mary. Now you might be thinking, but Pastor Natalia, this story says they're in Bethany, and we call Mary Mary Magdalene because she's from this little village on the Sea of Galilee called Magda, and that's how we get her title. Oh, you guys, I have such fun information for you. When you go back to the original manuscripts, uh, and honestly, in many of the early translations of this title of hers, you don't see that Mary is called Mary from Magda, but in fact, she is Mary called Magda. That's like Simon called Peter. He's not from a town named Peter. He's Simon called Peter. Mary is the same. Mary called Magda. Now, the Greek words from and called are very different here, so it's, there's not mistaking the distinction given to Mary. Most, if not every scholar, believes that Mary Magdalene is from Bethany with a sibling named Lazarus who hung out with Jesus regularly. So she was Mary from Bethany called Magda. So obviously your next question is, well, what does Magdalene mean then, right? Well, the ending E-N-E, E-N in Greek, also in Aramaic, is just a feminizer. Like we end words with S, right? Like priestess, prophetess, 
right? We just turn it into a lady word by adding ESS on it. Meg does the same. Magdalene, we do the same thing with it. It's turning into a feminine word of the word Magda, which means, I know you've been waiting, it's so exciting, tower. Mary the tower. Actually, the word is Mary the toweress. Isn't that awesome? Now you know why I have art of her hanging up in my home office. Simon called the rock. Mary called the tower. Is your mind blown yet? Uh, maybe not as much as me. Okay, but okay, but I love this all so much because it just makes sense. Do you feel it in your body? I've always known Mary was more. I've always felt she had something else to do in the story besides being a woman sort of loosely attached to Jesus. She is a disciple, an important one even. Peter is the rock, Mary is the tower. Peter is the rock and he doubts and questions and falters and stumbles and denies and runs away. And yet he is the foundation on which the church is built. Mary is the tower. She stands strong despite her grief and loss and broken heart. She will stay when everyone else runs away and she will show up at the tomb on Easter Sunday when everyone else was still hiding. Mary is a tower. So what does this have to do with Lazarus, you might be wondering? Yes, Jesus came, grieved at the death of his friend, and then he resurrected him. But turning the lens, even for a minute in this story to Mary, is a powerful testament of what it looks like to profess faith in the midst of everything around you falling apart. It is Mary, not Martha, who grieved and accused and yelled and trusted and confessed her faith, even when she did not have any idea what Jesus was about to do. She had no idea what was coming next. Mary is the tower because we needed a pillar of faith to look to when everything falls apart. To have an example of steady and solid faith that cries and yells and isn't only one thing. She is the tower and yet she stands in front of Jesus and says, if you had just been here, I'm so mad. She is the tower and she is so angry and sad and broken. She is both to show us we can be both. We can be faithful and broken. And we have needed that around here the last few months. So much loss, so much grief. And honestly, it's compounded grief because it feels like we barely get a handle on the hard loss we've just had when another comes quickly in its footsteps. We need Mary the Tower to guide us and hold us up and remind us that we can grieve and accuse and yell even as we struggle to trust and speak our faith out loud. We need Mary the Tower to hold us steady when we cannot be steady ourselves. We need Mary the Tower to remind us we can be broken and still at the same time declare Jesus is the Messiah, even when we haven't seen the proof of what he can do, though we know what is coming and we know he can do it. 
I stood right here on Friday afternoon and talked about resurrection to a packed room full of people grieving the loss of a 12-year-old girl. Oof, I'm going to cry when I talk about it. You should be proud that I did not cry when I gave that sermon. I don't know how that happened, grace of God. The sound of grief was heavy in this room. I got up, and all I heard was sniffling and sobbing and crying. It was awful, painful, heartbroken. It is an impossible thing we do in this place. Declaring that Jesus is the end of death when death is all around us. It is no small thing. We are going to stand around this baptismal font this morning with sweet Joshua, who, P.S., uh, was supposed to be baptized on March 14th, 2020. So we'll just say uh, everything shut down, and we're so thankful they are here to do it today. But everything changed, and lots of stuff has happened between now and then. Lots of grief, lots of loss, lots of pain. We are going to stand around this font, and we are going to name him Beloved Child of God, despite all the things in the world that will, from this moment on, try to tell him something else. It is no small thing. None of this faith stuff is. It asks us to be towers. As we continue in this final week of Lent, as we head into Holy Week, beginning next week with Palm Sunday, we too will have opportunities to stand as towers, to be witnesses to the impossible grief and loss of Good Friday, and to meet Mary the toweress back in the garden to witness the resurrection that she now knows is possible with God. It is no small thing that we do here. And we know what is possible with God. It is no small thing. Amen. All right, so we've all learned uh, a little bit about Mary today, and I hope you think she's as awesome as I do. And if you want to talk more about her, I'm always available to have that conversation. Uh, but we have all been reminded this morning that our faith is a tower that can stand strong even when it feels like the world is crumbling around us. And if you need a reminder of who you have been declared to be loved, beloved already, the water is still here, so come on up. Splash around it a little bit, mark a cross on your forehead, and remind yourself that you too are named and claimed a beloved child of God, and that goes with you into the world that is full of grief and heartbreak, and it is what we hold on to when everything feels like it is falling apart. So do we go in peace to love and serve the Lord.